Hello, everyone, and welcome to a hopefully not over two hours long episode of Analytical Fanboys. I am one of your hosts, The Vacuuminator, and I am joined, as always, by the all-star, Boingo Rider. I will talk slowly to There's a monster behind you, run! <laughs> what even is this show? Um, me driving you insane. Oh, really? I thought it was the other way around. Anyway, no, we're talking see, about... A... <laughs> I'm already insane. What are you talking about? That's fair. Uh, we're talking about Saga this week, everybody. Specifically, the first six issues collected in the original Volume 1 trade. Uh, this is a comic by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, uh, published by Image. And uh, it's a pretty cool sci-fi story about this husband and wife from two races that have been warring for longer than anybody can remember, so much so that um, the entire universe is involved with the war at this point. And uh, they love each other a lot, and they don't want to be involved in the war, but everybody hates them because they had a baby. Yep. So what do you think of it, Chris? For a book so colorful, colorful it is awfully gray. There is a lot of gray. It's, uh, it's a good thing that this planet is only in this volume, because they do get a little bit better on the color palette in later. No, 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 no. That was a joke. For a book so colorful, it is awfully gray. Mm-hmm. I I'm saw where you were going. I was just deflecting it. Yeah, no, I'm... Immediately, you are hit with the morality of everybody's fucked, everybody's wrong, there is no right... And the only right thing is the thing that everybody else goes like, what the fuck are you doing? Kill mm -hmm. him. Because the entire opening scene is literally Alana, one of the main characters, giving birth while her planet's army is banging down the door to this garage. They paid a grease monkey off. Which literally, literally, a grease monkey. <laughs> literally a grease monkey. They paid a grease monkey off to be able to have it for the night so they could have a quiet place to get birth. And her army is just banging down the door ready to kill them. Yeah, like... Because it, it, it's a very gray morality and in everybody involved. And, like, I spoiled myself. I went to TV tropes and looked at some things in the future. It's like, it doesn't get better. No. Yeah. I am up to current with this book, and it gets the opposite of better. I will say that. <laughs> uh, but, like, and here's the thing. It's not, in terms of the world, it's a darker gray, but all the characters are kind of a lighter shade of gray in terms of morality and ethics. Like, this isn't, this isn't like a 14-year-old comic, though everything is shit and it's fucked kind of gray. This is a, this is a, more adult, these are real people in a world that operates in ways similar to ours, but in the more unfortunate ways, kind of gray. Yeah, 
it it takes the it takes little thing it takes major things in our history and basically goes like but what if that was just like all the time for some mm-hmm. people and it just goes with that idea because it's a galactic war of course it's just going to atrocities are just going to happen for a longer stretch of the time before people realize it yeah um like probably one of my favorite things in this book is uh Hazel's babysitter the ghost girl who literally who literally the explanation for why she's a ghost is it's just a defense mechanism built into their race genetically and the way she died is she stepped on a random landmine doesn't even know whose side it was from yep and that's what i'm saying the world is a dark gray but the characters are light gray because she went like well i'm dead might as well help this baby yeah and like and you get the impression even in life she was kind of a no fucks given but still nice fun girl like she says yeah my parents were like this whole freedom fighter big into the revolution kind of people but i was just kind of hanging out yeah like even the person set up to be like a major antagonist the will basically goes and sees oh wait they're doing child prostitution and immediately kills everybody involved and like kidnaps her yeah. kidnaps takes her away and provides her safety and comfort and warmth attempts to free her yeah like yeah he's a murdering psychopath going after the people that we are have already made a giant connection to and we don't want to see die yeah but we're also rooting him on and even the people who kill him point out like oh what you'll kill people in the most gruesome ways possible i've seen the damage a freelancer can leave in their way in their wake and and you're drawing the line at one kid getting fucked and he's like yeah i am and then he just kills them yeah like it is just a very it's a very it's a weird it's a strangely black and white gray morality Mm-hmm. He has a very staunch idea of right and wrong, and it, it we may not be privy to all facets of it, but like we understand it. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of like everybody has their own line they cross, or this line they're telling themselves they won't cross. Like Marco has this whole thing about he. He has renounced violence. He is done with it. Violent, he's a very much a violence only begets violence kind of a thing. But then when push comes to shove, he's going to unsheath that sword and defend his wife and child and turn in and like have a fucking berserker barrage. Yeah. Uh, we, we have started talking about characters, but we haven't started talking about characters. You want to give a rundown of some people and I'll fill in the ones that I really liked? Uh, yeah. So we have... Uh, uh, I guess I'll just start with Marco. He is a member of this race of sort of like ram-horned people who I believe they were the moon? I can never remember. Like I'm... Yeah, they were called moonies a lot. Okay, yeah. It's this one planet and its moon that have been fighting forever. So Marco and his people, um, and he's kind of like, he was a soldier forever, but he wasn't really into it. He hated kind of what violence brought out of him and he wanted to defect and eventually he got captured and became a prisoner we're told and then met Alana who very much wasn't into being uh, like she just didn't care it was just a job to her she was just in a prison 
like reading romance novels all day long and somehow her and Marco connected and fell in love. And I'll be right back because this dog is stirring up a heck of a fuss. Oh no, much like the baby that's a part of this book that I will bring back up once he can hear me again. (laughs) And that happened at eight minutes and 30 seconds in. Good job. Yeah, I, you can tell time. I'm proud. I of used you. the stopwatch this time. <laughs> um, oh, stop it! Watch yourself. Do I do I have to smack you? I have the trade in my hand right now. I'll roll it up and smack you. Uh, I'll just watch it by. Okay. Uh, but uh, so they somehow connected and fell in love, and so Alana freed him. And they've been on the run ever since. And when we meet them, Alana is literally the first page is um, her going into labor and giving birth. Um, with probably one of the greatest opening lines in comic history. I can't remember. What was it? Am I shitting? It feels like I'm shitting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, they have a little baby named Hazel, who is the narrator for the entire book. Um, that's something that goes throughout every issue. And then at the same time, uh, we have Prince Robot 4, I think it is? Yeah, one and a, uh, one and a V is four. Okay. And he's hired by Alana's side. Because his his royal family has been in the service of the uh, I guess we'll call them the planet toys or something like that. They don't really get a derogatory term for throughout the book, if I remember correctly. Uh, but his his race has always been in the service of the of the people of the planet, and so they contract him after he's just gotten back from a tour of duty and has impregnated his wife. Um, to uh, track down and kill on Marco, but bring the baby back alive. Um, and at the same time, Marco's side has contracted a bunch of freelancers, which are basically bounty hunters, to track down um, them and do the same thing. And we focus on a couple freelancers in this book, the Will and the Stock. Um, the Stock being this weird, kind of crazy spider witch lady... Um, and Which, first off, fuck that design. Fuck it with fire. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're to if you're to will, you clearly fuck it a lot. Um, but uh, the will is just kind of like a normal dude, but he has this like Siamese, this like dog-sized Siamese cat-looking thing called the lion cat that can literally tell whether or not someone's lying, and it will literally say lying out loud and i know it's supposed to sound like that because i have a lion cat plush that has a voice chip in it oh because i always saw that as like a whisper no no it's literally like like it, it the best i can do is like lying cuz when i read it it was it's it, it, it to me it just rung as like a whisper it seemed more like Less of like a di- overt like fuck you kind of a you're lying bitch and more of like lying. I think you can kind of read it in any tone depending on the scene, but that's that's what the voice chip and the plush I had sound like. And I would play it here 
I would have brought it in here and played it for the video, but the voice chip died a long time ago, and I have no idea how to get in there and replace the batteries. Uh, but uh, so the Will and the Stock used to be in a relationship, but they're on the outs right now. And as soon as the Will finds out that the Stock is on the mission, he's kind of like, well, fuck that. She's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. So I'm just going to go off to uh, the sex planet and get laid a whole lot on um, Marco Side's dime until they realize that I'm not actually doing my job and cancel the card. <laughs> um, and while there, he meets a... Um, he basically finds it really bland, really boring, even though there's some graphic as hell shit in this comic. There is um, a lot of fetishes at play. Yeah. And he's he just finds it really bland and boring. And, like, honestly, I, I was a bit weirded out by it the first time around. But reading it this time, I was like, oh, wait, he used to fuck a spider lady. This probably is really tame to him. <laughs> I mean, just imagine those hand jobs. Yeah. And then because here's the thing. She doesn't have, like, normal arms in her, like, human shoulders. All of her legs are like hands and does like, no. Yeah. You. But a dude comes up to him and is like, hey, I bet I can show you some of the more extreme stuff. Something you'd be much more interested in. And takes him down to the lower levels of Sextillion, I believe the planet is called. And uh, there's a little girl there and he's not okay with that. Even though she's clearly trying to convince herself that she is. And he tries to free her. And he can't, and he calls up the stock and is like, hey, I want to get in on this job so I can get money to just buy her and set her free, even though that's really not going to help her at all in the grand scheme of things, if you think about it. That comes into play in later volumes. Um, and uh, meanwhile, uh, Marco and Alana run into a ghost girl who is a native of the planet they're on, which is just some random ball. Literally, it's called a random ball of mud caught in the crossfire. Um, and she says, hey, you're looking for a way to get off the planet because there's a bunch of people that know you're here and are trying to hunt you. There's a rocket ship forest on the other side of the planet, and I can take you to it for a price. You got to let me bond my spirit to your daughter." So I can get off the planet and go see the universe, too. And they're not exactly sure if they should trust her at first, but then when I think the stock shows up for the first time, they're like, well, fuck, okay. Um, so they bond, and the, uh, the ghost girl, whose name I can't remember, even though she's like my favorite character in the series, um, takes them to the rocket ship forest, and they escape. Meanwhile... Uh, Prince Robot 5 runs into and kills the stock, um, basic, and the Will is on the phone with her at the time, and hears her die, and is basically like, um, hey, fuck Mrs. This, Robot... Fuck you, fuck all this shit, fuck you. Yeah, I think he literally says, boy, he literally does the Liam Neeson thing of saying, like, boy, listen good, I don't know who you are, I don't give a shit who you are, I'm gonna find you, and I'm gonna kill you, but only after I kill everything you love. Yeah. And it's, oh. it's really interesting because, like, in any other book, I think the Will would just kind of be like a generic baddie who would be constantly hounding them sort of Team Rocket style. But he gets so fleshed out in this that you're kind of rooting for him. 
you kind of the, want him to like completely destroy Prince Robot's existence. And even here's even the other thing. I don't think there's an antagonist. There's just several protagonists, and they all are going for different goals that are competing against each other. Yeah. And, like, because I, you don't hate Prince Robot. Like, he's not doing, like, he's doing He's kind of a dickhead, but I don't hate him. Yeah, no, he's a dickhead in the way that you start a story with a guy who's going to learn his lesson, lesson throughout the story and become a better person at the end of it. Yeah. He's that kind of dickhead. He's not like a he, fuck he's this guy. He's the of this series, actually. Not, I think yeah, I'm no, I, I've read through the TV tropes. So, I, I've seen some of his, what he goes through. Yeah. Also, just love the fact, perfect aesthetic with robots. Always have a CRT for a head. Yeah, they literally look like that guy who, and this is going to date this podcast, but that guy who's been going around residential neighborhoods leaving TVs on people's porches for no reason. That's the beginning of an iconic anime from the late 90s, and you know it. Oh, that guy is a fucking hero. I want I want to shake his hand. I fucking, like, it's brilliant. It's great. That's the beginning of, like, a. that's the beginning of so many things. That, it, that like, is inspiring is a, so many writers. Man, it is a slender man waiting to happen, and I'm so into it. But, um, but it also reminds me of uh, Kanti from Pudikuli. Yeah. Which is what I always go to when I think of a CRT head robot, but that's more of a common trope. Mm-hmm. Um, also, these robots have fully functioning genitals. Yep, there, there's, a, there's a sex scene between him and his wife when we first meet him, and wow, does it throw you for a loop the first time. Like, I, I once heard this book described as every issue features the weirdest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life, and I think that's pretty fair to say on your first read-through. Yeah, I can see that. But then again, I've seen a bunch of weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I was just flipping through my copy of the trade here, and the ghost girl's name is Isabel, so... Right. That's a very ghost girl name. Yeah. Um... I'm kind of glad that they aren't doing a bunch of, like, super sci-fi space names. It's, like, relatively normal names. Yeah, it's kind of like the characters are grounded, but the concepts are really out there. But not out there in like an Arthur C. Clarke big brain mode kind of a thing. It's it's like... It's very pulpy in that way. Yeah, and like I read that this is based off of Star Wars in a way where he where Vaughn very much wants it to be like, there's a bunch of weird out there shit, but it's not really meant to be explained within the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, why is there a forest that can just grow rocket ships? I don't know, magic. Don't worry about it. Like, if there was a... Like, if this was a Star Wars novel, you'd have, like, a whole five pages explaining the history of that forest and how certain characters found out about it. Here it's just, no, there's a fucking rocket ship forest, dude. Let's get out. Let's go there and blow this popsicle stand. And it kind of has that, like, fairy tale feel, especially with... Uh, Hazel's future narration over top everything. It kind of, like, it partially feels like the way she's describing things, she's telling a fairy tale, and we're seeing the things that inspired the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. I also like how the narration is literally just forcing you to taper your expectations. 
because you go into this and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be like, oh, excuse me. This is going to be like a 500 issue epic. And we're going to see this little girl grow up and become the savior of the universe who ends this war. And she's, and she literally says in the first issue at some point, I'm no one special. I just had a cool, I just had cool parents. Yeah. And I don't even think she's going to end the war. I don't think that's the end game of the story. From just the six issues I've read, it feels like the war is going to continue. She's just the beginning of a new thing that's going to inspire more people that in later years, in 100 years, 500 years, the war will be over. Yeah, I could see this doing like the kind of same thing Why the Last Man did, because that's Vaughn's other big creator-owned thing, and I have read all of that, where that's sort of like, gets to a point where it's fixing the the issue with the world in that comic but then the last issue is we jump ahead like 20 years to where the main character is an old man and we see the world is on its way to being fixed but it's not going to happen within his lifetime and he's like well i did my part i'm just gonna fuck off now yeah there's there's only so much you can do in a story like that and that's what i think this is kind of also leading yeah I mean, it's all, like, this is also just because this is the the Image comic that I read, because I think there's, like, certain comics of Image you read, and that's your Image comic. I read Invincible. Hmm. And Invincible's really good, and, like, near the tapered end of this is when this really started taking off. And there's similarities, but there's, like... There's a spiritual similarity, and, and like none of the creative staff are related, none of the artist staff, none of them. But there's kind of like this mentality. It feels like there's a spirit of all right, we are not doing a typical comic book. We're doing something new. We're doing something weird, and we're in this together. That we're going to help other each other. We're going to shout each other out. This is just who we are. We're image. Yeah. And I like that in art. I like that. Yeah. I like how modern image has kind of like, like around the time Invincible was halfway through, modern image just kind of congealed into the thing that 90s image always promised us. Yeah. And I think it's just because all those creators were just like, just finally tired and just stepped back and like, just ran it and just went like, okay, signed off everything. Yeah. Like, sure, Image is still publishing Spawn, but who reads Spawn? The only people who read Spawn anymore are the people who are collecting it. And, like, won't stop collecting it. Yeah. And to those people, I say, you have a problem, seek help. Yeah. But, like, and also, like, near the tail end of have you read Invincible? I have not. I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean to get to that. I'll get to that eventually. I've been saying that for four years. Yeah. We could put the volume one on the, the list. Cool. Yeah, I'll put volume one on the list. But essentially, about near the midway point, the main characters just... The setting kind of changes from mostly Earth to... Space. You're just in space. That's where we are now. We're in space. And it kind of has that very... It gave me a similar vibe. It's partially because either both Image Comics, creator-owned, 
they shot at each other. They, they're just, they were probably uh, 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 creative collaborators in some way. Just like, hey, got an idea. Oh, yeah. um, because the war is very like. There's a lot of what's the word? What's the way? What's wrong? They had a very similar feel of characters can be good people and the world can be shit. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar feel, I'd say. Yeah. And that's a thing that's kind of present in all of Vaughn's work. Like, I wouldn't say I've read everything by him, but it's very much a theme in uh, Why the Last Man. His other series that is currently going, Paper Girls, has that in a way. And I've not read, I've been meaning to read it forever, and I really should just go ahead and buy it because it's like one $10 volume. But uh, I've heard Pride of Baghdad has that in spades. But, like, I loved all, pretty much all the characters. The only one I didn't really like, it mainly because she got no chance to show different colors, was uh, the, the Salk, was it? Yeah, she's kind of just an evil bitch who's good at her job. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's a Power Rangers villain. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you're right. like that's kind of what it is she even got destroyed by a robot oh my god ryan k vaughn with the stealthiest reference of all time (laughs) nah um so since you enjoyed this so much i of course have to ask are you gonna read more of it and would you like to do that for the podcast and have this be a reoccurring topic for the podcast, yes. If it was on my own, I wouldn't read it anytime soon. Mainly because I know how I deal with fiction, and I have a threshold for a variety of things. I can only deal with so much head-trippy bullshit kind of stories before I start fucking freaking... like not Before I start kind of staring off into space more often, and I don't like that feeling. Like, um... Like, uh, one week in college, I just binged American Gods on audiobook. And, mm. like, for the next two days, I was kind of in a haze. Like, I, what the, it, it's weird. But there's only so much of certain kind of stories that I can deal with. And right now, I'm, I'm, I'm at my threshold for morally dubious gray worlds with good people but in tough situations because I'm watching Gundam and I'm watching a bunch of shit like that (laughs) so I'm already dealing with all that and I'm maxed out as soon as one of those would have ended yeah no I would have probably picked up the next six issues of uh, uh, Saga read those be good for a bit drop it for a month or two and then read the next six like and spurts and bits, which if we do it as a podcast, brill. Yeah, that's that's exactly what'll happen because that's what we've been doing with Bakuman and DRPR. Dipper. Um, but yeah, it, it it it's very much one of those things of like, yeah, I love it. Let me let me get back to it real quick because I need to get in the right headspace. <laughs> kind of a similar thing of like, I love Devil Man. But fuck me, am I going to try and watch that anime right now? I'm still fucked up from reading the manga. <laughs> yeah, the uh, for those of you who don't know, the ending to Devil Man is probably one of the most traumatic things of all time. It's up there with Apocalypse Now. 
But yeah, no, Saga, like, art is also brilliant. It's just beautifully well-done characters. That, oh, uh, yeah, I love Fiona Staples' art. Like, I think this was the thing that kind of got me to on the path to realizing, oh, yeah, I just like cartoony-looking stuff that's slightly sketchy. Yeah, and there's all... Uh, I, I hate to put it this way, but there's a tiny bit of anime influence. Mm-hmm. Not like... And I'm not saying, like, anime influence. I'm talking, like... Like anime in terms of like cowboy bebop. Yeah, this isn't this isn't like your local library how to draw manga book. This is just it has somebody, that... somebody's watched a couple of the more popular animes in their life once. Bebop, Evangelion, those kind of like realistic humans, realistic proportions, but slightly exaggerated to get better emotions. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's it, it's anime. My an anime is kind of like a loaded term when I, when it comes to that. But like that kind of idea, and especially yeah. it's nice to look at. It's nice to see characters just be like adults about shit. Like it is. They're worried as fuck, but they're adults. Mm-hmm. And there's nudity, but it's not like. Even the sex scenes aren't, like, particularly titillating. It's just, this is where we're entering into this character's life. Oh, and the sex, and, like, here's the thing. The story feels very much like, this is the world, these are their lives. Just because war is going on, people don't stop fucking. Yeah. In fact, people fuck more. hmm Like, that's just kind of how the world is. And to ignore that would be to ignore how oh, that world would be like. Yeah. So why why not just be up front of it and go like, hey, here's a robot cock. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great shit. Also, it's just kind of uh, neat to have a, uh, that they basically purposefully made it so all the characters are kind of racially ambiguous. Yeah. It's, it's not like there's no, there's no real like divides beyond which side of the war were you on. Yeah, like it's pretty much: do you have a horn or do you have wings? Mm-hmm. And like you can guarantee, if they weren't fighting each other, you know the feathered winged people and the insect winged people would be fighting each other. Yeah, that's just how they seem to be. They just seem to want to fight people. Like, Hazel, the baby, literally says in her narration at one point, the war's been going on for so long, nobody remembers what the original disagreement was. And you get the feeling like, oh, it's just random chance that these two races are fighting. It's it's not like uh, there's no huge, um, like, highly orchestrated operatic story to this. We're not gonna like we're not gonna find out at the end that oh no the moon people committed massive genocide and all of this has been retaliation. It's like I don't feel like we're ever gonna see that. In the book. Yeah, I don't think this is again a Rabuchi story. Yeah, fuck the butcher. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think there's too much else to say, is there? Um, Isabel reminded me of like a Filipino monster. I can't remember what it's called. Really? Yeah, no, there's like a Filipino um, folklore creature 
Latino ghost? Just because, just because she's missing her bottom half and her intestines are hanging out? or Yeah, it's, it's that kind of ghost. It reminded me of that. Okay. You, you know the ghost I'm talking about. I literally have no idea. <laughs> I'm trying the to listeners remember. might, though. Somebody put it in the comments. Yeah, like, it, it's like a witch ghost kind of thing, and it's intestines, and... Ugh. It just reminded me. Not necessarily, like, I'm saying, oh, there's a definite connection there. There's some weird shit. No, it's like, it's, oh, it just reminded me. Yeah. Um... I like how it's, and I like how magic is integrated with technology. Yeah, uh, it's like all the Marcos Marcos people, all the horns. magic, but it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's just like it's a, like it's treated as another form of technology. All the wing people use tech, and not the, in the annoying magic is just a form of technology we don't understand yet. It's it's literally just. No, this is a thing Marco's race has that Alana's doesn't, and that, and so they use that sometimes to their advantage. Yeah, like they like, and there's a great, interesting moment where he goes like, "I need to do a spell, but I need a secret." What? Certain spells need certain requirements. I need a secret from you, and she gives some bullshit, and he goes like, "I know, I need a real secret." She goes, "I like to taste my own breast milk." And he's like, when the fuck did you find... Oh, hey, it worked. Like, and that, and it's kind of immediately gave you a sense, okay, so magic isn't just, oh, he can shoot fireballs whenever. It's a very limited, specific thing that he has to do in order to do anything. Yeah. Which is nice. It is. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good camic. It's a really good comic, and I'm I'm glad it exists within the American comics book sphere because twenty years ago it probably would have had five issues and nothing more. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you get to it, you go through all of it in like a couple of weeks, and you're like, man, indie comics are pretty cool. And then you go back to superheroes for a few months. Yeah, yeah. The We're American back. com the American comic book scene is greatly, greatly kneecapped by Diamond Distributions. Fuck Diamond. Yeah. But uh, I think that's about all we have to say on Saga. We like it. You should read it. We're going to talk about it again in the future. But for now, we're going to talk about what we've been up to this week. So, Chris, what you been listening to? So, have you heard of a band called Fishbone? That sounds vaguely familiar, but I, I, I'm not sure. Here's the best way to put about it, put it to understand. They are a band from the late 80s, early 90s. They're still going, but that's when they kind of started. The best way to put them is they are an all-black, Red Hot Chili Peppers, but add a little bit more metal in some songs and add a good bit of ska and they came out before the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and even the Red Hot Chili Peppers go, yeah, we don't know how we got popular, and they didn't. <sighs> They're like, they are one of those bands that's like your favorite band's favorite band. Neat. And they are damn good. Like, uh, 
if you're listening and you want to check them out, some songs real quick, I'd say Mom Paw is probably one of their easiest singles to get into. And that's on, I'm trying to remember the name of the album. I can't right now. Let me pull up Spotify so I just have it on me and I can just say where it's from. But uh, yeah, they've been going on forever. They're kind of like one of those bands that kind of uh, uh, kind of influenced the current crop of Afropunk. If you know what that is. Yeah. Um, it was on Truth and Soul. So Ma and Pa on Truth and Soul, that's a really good thing. Uh, that's a really good song. Just, it's a fun, funky thing to get into. And I'm trying to party at Ground Zero. Top dollar song. It's, it is the best jam about impending doom. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Fishbone is super fucking good. Cool. Listen to them. I may put an album on here. Nice. Um, uh, but, wait, what was the other thing that I said I'd put on the list before I forget that I said earlier? Image comic that you like? Oh, Invincible. Yes. I, I thought that's what it was called, but there's like four different comics that's that are indie superhero things that start with an I. There's Invincible, Irredeemable incorruptible and i think one other one uh so i'm putting invincible on right now volume one okay sub chris all right cool now i'm putting in the second one fishbone uh truth and soul yeah, but Fishbone is like they definitely sound of their time. Like you wouldn't go like, "Oh, they sound like they recorded this yesterday." No, it sounds like they recorded it in the early '90s. Not in terms of like quality of sound, but in just terms of like that's when that kind of sound would have been like kind of formed. You know, a. Hmm. And it's not in like it's it's a kind of in a timeless way. It's weird. I just really enjoy Fishbone. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I also found out that a couple of the Pillows albums are on American Spotify now. So I've been listening to them a little bit. Uh, it's their earlier stuff, so it's like their first two albums. So none of the later like fan fate like diehard fan favorite stuff um, is on there yet. But hopefully one day. Also, uh, I'm planning on uh, kind of trying out some tool because one of my favorite YouTubers, Crash Thompson, just made a whole video about how to get into tool, and I and he made a lot of interesting. Th- it made it sound interesting, and I want to try it out. Mm. Yeah, that's what I've been listening to. Neat. Well, um, as I told you before we started recording, I kind of started doing the thing you do with YouTube this week, where I do the randomized Watch Later playlist. Um, I've, I've been using my Watch Later playlist as the way to watch videos for a long time, but usually I just watch things in order. But honestly, that that's kind of become a tedious pain in the ass, so I decided to try the randomization thing. And YouTube is the way I experience music. I've always discovered music and just 
listen to songs back through there. There was a very brief period when I was like 11 or 12 where I tried to start collecting CDs, but I've never really had the money to properly collect anything, so I very quickly got distracted and stopped doing that. And then I found out there was all shit ton of music on YouTube and started doing that. And so I've just got a bunch of random singles here I'm going to run down um, that I bumped into because I, I, I would kind of just, whenever somebody tells me about a band that I either haven't heard of before or I've been meaning to check out forever, I'll just search them on YouTube and add like the first five music videos to my watch later playlist. Um, or if I see a new song that looks interesting to me, either in my subscription tag or trending, because I subscribe to all the artists I like, um, I will just throw that in the watch later playlist and get to it when I get to it. Um, which is why the first thing here is Dear Future Self by Kurokuro Benito, uh, a recent single they put out um, from their new album. Another very, very different track for them, much more down tempo, much more kind of introspective, like the, the song they put out a music video for recently, Swimming which I really liked. Um, I don't like this one as much, but it's still pretty, pretty good. Um, it's, it's like um, sort of someone, it's literally someone writing a letter sort of like with this wishful thinking about like, maybe the future is bad, maybe the future is good, but you know, kind of a thing because they insert random Japanese into their lyrics. I mean, that's how they kind of found their singer. They, put an ad in the paper and says hey we need a singer must be able to speak japanese yeah <laughs> um and then i watched the video for beautiful people by ed sheeran i'm not i were i thought you were about to say marilyn manson <laughs> i i need to i marilyn manson is one of those people who i've always heard of but i've never checked out any of his her its stuff so Him. i should get i should get on that at some point but um, I don't particularly care for Ed Sheeran. I think this was just in the trending tab, and I threw it in my watch later playlist on a whim. Neat song, neat video. It doesn't actually feature him at all. It's it's like this little mini story about this couple going, this like plain Jane, average white couple in their like thirties going on like a really glamorous LA vacation, and the whole song is kind of about like, um, you don't need to dress up for me. I don't need to dress up for you we we're not beautiful people but we love each other anyway kind of a thing and and i appreciate it especially because the reason ed sheeran kind of got over is because when he originally was becoming famous he was he was kind of like this scraggly looking ginger dude and he still kind of is but he's definitely kind of gotten industry dolled up in the last year or so yeah ron weasley looking motherfucker yeah and then I listened to Over the Hills and Far Away by Led Zeppelin. I put this in my Watch Later playlist because I was looking for the Nightwish version, the Nightwish song, because I was familiar with that, and I really love that song. And I was like, oh, there's a Led Zeppelin version? I bet they originally did it, and the Nightwish version is a cover. No, it's a completely different song, and it's also really good. I think that that sounds like something that they that from like a line from like a poem that they both would have like been inspired by, you know? Yeah. Um, Similar to like how the band My Chemical Romance is named after a line in a poem. 
And then uh, I listened to Psychosocial by Slipknot because I put a bunch of Slipknot music in my Watch Later playlist because after TakeOver this weekend, I realized that they're Triple H's favorite band, so I should probably <laughs> give them more of a look. Second favorite band. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he likes Lenny a whole lot too. Um, and, and Lenny's always going to be in his heart. Mm-hmm. Rest uh, in peace, Lenny. And I would definitely say this is not the best Slipknot song I've ever heard, but this is also not the worst Slipknot song I've ever heard. It is very average for them. I, I'd say it's the easiest beginner Slipknot song. Yeah. As a person who listened to Slipknot in high school and hasn't really ever since. <laughs> um, and then I had a Slipknot oddly, wallet, dude. Holy shit. <laughs> With a chain. Nice. I think I got it from Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> oh my god. I got a Punisher wallet from Spencer's. Okay, you can get that in that. Um, and then, oddly enough, because you, you mentioned them earlier, I listened to Helena by My Chemical Romance. Oh, neat! Because, again, they're a band that I knew was really popular growing up, but was just never checked out. So recently I threw some of their videos in my Watch Later playlist. And I would say this is okay. It's not really my style. I can appreciate what it's trying to be. But it's not, not really for me. But I've got some other songs of theirs in my playlist, and I'll hopefully give those a try. I think... I mean, Black Parade's usually the first go-to to show a person My Chemical Romance. Mm. When I was a young boy. That does sound vaguely familiar. Um, but hey, Gerard Way's now a comic book guy, so... Hey! Uh, and then the final thing I listened to this week was... Uh, apologies if I pronounced this wrong. Aha Kai by Alien Weaponry. Oh, that's the Kiwi band, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like a big protest song entirely in... Maui? Yes, Maui. That's the I was about Maori. to say Kiwanese as a joke, but then I didn't want to be a fun... Maori. 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 I slurred my word. It's Maori. Okay. It's, the lyrics are entirely in Maori, and it's basically a giant fuck you to Queen Elizabeth for when she came there on the Commonwealth tour like 80 years ago and was like, oh, it's such a quaint, lovely little island. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I was like, that's cool. I don't think I'm ever going to listen to this again, but that's cool. Like, there's a lot... I really enjoy popping into very specifically cultural metal bands and listening to a couple songs and forgetting for a couple weeks and then listening to them again. Like, uh, there's a Mongolian metal band called The Wu, I think. The Wu? The Wu. The W, uh, the W-U. Wu. Or the... I really yeah. want them to do a collaboration with the few living members left of The Who. Um, but, like, they, they have an entire song basically just going, like, hey, current Mongolian people, why have we abandon some of these traditions where we look back to our ancestors and look on them proudly and why are we disgracing them yeah. we should be badass mongolians we shouldn't be 
We shouldn't be fucking around. Yeah. Um, but since you also mentioned listening to music through the YouTube playlist, I also been listening to a song almost on repeat. I've been listening to the 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 Daytona uh, the Daytona fucking what's the name of the game? Five hundred. No, no, no. The Daytona. Daytona. Let's go away. Let's go away. I don't know that. It's a it's a song from a Sega game. Oh. Hold on. Daytona video game music. It is from Daytona USA. Hmm. Uh, so first off, let me send you the Woo song so you can pop it in later. Yeah. Uh, this is the one specifically talking about their history, uh, the Mongolian ancestry and all that kind of stuff. And like they don't, they play metal, but they aren't playing metal with Western instruments. They are playing metal with. Oh, Mongolian. that guy looks like my cool older brother. They are playing metal with Mongolian instruments and Mongolian singing techniques because they do that cool Mongolian throat singing. Yeah! Yeah. So, like, it's not a metal growl, it's a Mongolian war chant, and it's like, fuck yeah. But that's the video game music. All you need to do is listen to the first five seconds. In fact, I'm gonna listen to the first five seconds. (laughs) What the Yes. Daytona! That's a 10 out of 10 jam right there. Yeah, it is some of the best video game music ever. (laughs) Ever. Uh, I just want to walk into like a big convention dealer room and shout at the top of my lungs, Daytona! Like... It's so, it, it's just, just so such a brilliant. Because here's the thing, pay attention to listen to it. It's not being sung. They sampled a dude singing. <laughs> so like that long A at the first Daytona, they are just holding and sustaining it on a piano, and it's nice. brilliant. Because guess what? When they were making the arcade game, that saved memory, so they could have better graphics for the game. Because this was revolutionary in 3D graphics uh, in the arcade systems at the time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, since you're on a bit of a roll, Chris, why don't you tell me what you've been watching this week? Cool boy. These are all. I'm going to put my legs up now and get my phone out. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I know. I watch a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's. You know what? Let's go. Uh, I watched Zillion episode four. Basically, they go through a jungle and they find some traps and they escape them. It's very still Monster of the Week. Though we do get some hints of the bigger bigger bad guy, which is going to be cool. Nice. Uh, Outlaw Star episode four. Um, spoiler. Uh, spoiler things happen. Uh, but we do finally get what the Outlaw Star is. It's the ship. And it has tiny robot arms. Yeah. Uh, Dagwon, still uh, episode Monster of the Week kind of thing. 
though this one I'm trying to remember what exactly happened. Oh, right. A teacher at his, the school is hounding the red guy um to the point where he can't go help fight the aliens when it happens and he basically has to go like bitch, I need to do a thing. Trust me. And he goes like, "No, I don't trust you." And the president and the principal of the school goes like, "I trust him. Go, young one." It's like, hmm. "Yeah, principal. Fuck yeah." I watched episode 9, 10, and 11 of JoJo's Part 5. Uh, and this is the entirety of uh, uh, the, uh, the Little little Feet arc. Where basically a dude who has a tiny airplane as a superpower fights a dude who can shrink people. Cool. Yeah. And it's a lot of like most JoJo fights, a lot of back and forth, a lot of strategy, a lot of like figuring out your opponent, doing all that kind of shit. And it really, this is the showcase for the airplane character whose power is called Aerosmith. Um, so yeah, it's really dope. It's probably it's one of the most solid things I've seen. So uh, like, of this JoJo part because they just took the time to let the fight breathe. It's really good. Uh, I watched episode two of Space Sheriff Gavin. Nice. Uh, still really exposition heavy. Yeah. But I'm I'm still digging it. I think it, the it, first five episodes are that way, and then it just goes to Monster of the Week for the rest of the series. Yeah. Though I do really appreciate the fact that they got a white dude to play Interpol, and he said no lines. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, just like... I want to know what the best use of a white dude in Toku ever is. What? In the original Common Rider, there's a scene where a monster attacks the American Navy, and by attacks, I mean sneaks onto a ship and robs a safe with, like, an experimental device in it by blowing the safe open and then just taking the gun and running. And there's a scene where the, the naval officer in command of the ship walks in to see the broken safe, and he just says, Wow, that's broken! Perfect. Brilliant. I love it. Oh, uh, there's nothing better than Japanese people trying to write English dialogue for Americans to act. Yeah. Like, that is the best. That's this Um, I watched episodes four and six of Votums. Ooh, more intrigue. We're trying to, uh, we're finally figuring out who that chick was that we saw in the very first episode. Uh, the main character starting to realize... Shit, I'm in a conspiracy. This is gonna get really fucked. Um, and he's fine, and, his, and the people he's been hanging out with basically go like, "No, dude, you're our friend." And he goes like, "I thank you, I appreciate it, but like, I'm doing dangerous shit here." <laughs> he doesn't say that because he's a very stoic character, but like, they come and rescue him, and they go like, "Hey, you need to go this way," and he, and he goes like, "Okay," and he trusts them, so it's neat. It's neat to see this kind of, like, character development, because it's very, very subtle. I watched episodes two and three of Slam Dunk. Uh, base, uh, basketball shenanigans. Nice. Yeah. Um, basically, the main character challenges the captain of the basketball team to, like, a little makeshift game, and he basically goes, uh, basketball captain goes, if you can score one point after stealing a ball from me, you win. But you have to do it before I, sk- I score 10 points on you. 
So there's a like, and he's just schooling him. Hmm. And the other guy just has to learn to be like humble a little bit and like, yeah, it's a bunch of cool stuff. But still, no full basketball game. And it's really interesting because more more modern sports anime tend to immediately start doing going hard on sporty stuff and training and practice kind of thing. Uh, And this is kind of nice. It's nice and decompressed. You're waiting for him to finally put on the sneakers instead of instead of like, oh, he immediately is putting on sneakers. Okay. Hmm. So it's refreshing. Um, I started watching another new anime. <laughs> uh, Next War Chronicle Air Gaze. It's a late 90s mecha anime. And the best way to put it is there's several warring factions trying to get control of several different resources. But we don't follow any of them. We follow a bunch of ragtag outlaws looting the shit out of everybody else to survive. How very on brand for you. Yeah. It's almost as if I like shit like that. <laughs> We're gonna get to that later. Trust me. Um, But so far, one episode in, I definitely think it's probably the sleeper of late 90s. We're taking goofy, goofy sci-fi things completely seriously. Really dope anime that should be recognized up there with Cowboy Bebop, Gundam Wing, Outlaw Star, stuff like that. It's really good so far. It may prove me wrong, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, next thing I watch is another new anime. Uh, Kyokai no Rene. Um... Tell me, have you heard of Ranma Half? Yes. Have you heard of Inunasha? Yes. They were both written by the same woman, and she wrote this. Hmm. Um, essentially, a little girl gets spirited away when she was a young girl, but she gets sent back to the normal place. But after that, she starts seeing ghosts. And the new transfer student just so happens to be a Shinigami, and he takes care of ghosts. And you go like, oh, that's a that's a neat setup for like an action adventure kind of bleach kind of thing, right? It's a very relaxed kind of um um what's the word for it? it it's a very like there was a word for it, like a very talky rom commy from the fifties. I don't know, um. But it was it's a very it's very talky. It's very jokey. Because every time he has to use like one of his like tools to take care of a a, a ghost, it costs money. <laughs> so he just repeatedly goes, Hey, can I have a hundred yen? Sure. Here. Alright, cool. I need another hundred yen. <laughs> and then that's kind of a running joke. And it's kind of cute, it's adorable. Because the girl also doesn't take any of his shit, and he, she's, like, immediately sassy towards him. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is nice. This is nice and comfy. Which I'm digging. Cool. Uh, and I watched episode two of Ace of Diamond. Um, basically, best sports boys ever. So after doing a bunch of things at this dope high school for baseball in Tokyo, 
main character guy comes back home and says like, yeah, that place is really cool. But dudes, I, I, I'd like to play baseball with you. And they're, but before he can even say that to his friends, they go like, dude, you got it. You are being scouted by one of the best baseball high schools in the country. You need to go there. You'll be dope there. And he's all wishy-washy because like, um, but like, I'd be losing like my friends. And his grandpa basically goes like, bitch, are they not going to be your friends just because you're a few miles away? And he goes like, shit, you're right. And then his dad goes, yo, go out there and try. Cause you'll be regretting it if you didn't. And here's the thing. If you fail, you can always come back home. And that's what made him go like, all right, no, I'm going to try and do this. So he goes to all of his friend's house and he goes like, Hey, I'm sorry for being weird about that. I want to go to this high school. I want to go to this high school and play baseball, even though I won't be able to play it with you. And then in the show, six months later happened. He's about to head out to Tokyo and all of his friends are going like, Oh man, he's such a, you're such a, you're such a man doing all that weird shit. It's funny. They're joking around. They're dropping him off at the train. The, the, the girl manager hints that she always liked him says, remember to email me every once in a while, you know? That kind of thing. And as he's stepping on the train to say goodbye, the catcher of his team, who's the rest of his team sucks. Catcher of his team says, I'm sorry I was never really good that you can never fully bring out your potential. And the guy in the pit and the, our main character guy goes like, oh, no, dude, I just I was happy playing baseball with you. And I'm going to carry all your spirits on with me at this brand new school in Tokyo. And as the door closes, the rest of his teammates go, we wanted to play baseball with you. And he is devastated because he's like, you guys were holding back so I could follow my dream. Oh, thank you. That is some anime ass shit. And it, like, I was tearing up. I was crying because they were, they were, friends they were best bros it's like we're gonna hold our sadness we're gonna hold our sadness for as long as we possibly can see you off with a smile but they couldn't hold it they had they just were like no we wanted to play baseball with you some more and it's like devastating and it's just like that that's that's character man that's good shit mm. So that was episode two of Ace of Diamond, and already it's it's fucking bringing tears out of me. Yeah. Um, that's what I've been watching. Very nice. Well, I watched episodes 11 through 15 of Common Rider Blade. Still very, very nice, chill, early Heisei, kind of edgy fun times. Would you say it's a cut above the rest? Stop. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll cut it out. <laughs> you fuck boy. Uh, but we're building up to the introduction of the fourth writer who they've said he's called like Langil or like Langil. He's, he's Stephen King's The Langoliers, is what I understand. Um. And I think we've already seen who it's going to be because the the way we're building it up to is the evil organization in the show is trying to make their new ultimate powerful cool guy writer 
and they're like kidnapping a bunch of people who are supposedly going to be compatible with the system and testing to see if they are. And we focused very heavily on one person who got kidnapped. So it's like, okay, that's our guy. And at, herring. The, and at the same time, they got uh, Garen hooked on some seaweed, which is an allegory, which is a really weirdly blatant allegory for drugs. Because it's like, it makes him, su- it feels like an 80s drug PSA comic where like, it makes him super powerful. He can beat any guy and he's Mr. Cool Man. But also if anyone tries to suggest he shouldn't, he freaks the fuck out. And and uh, it ends up getting his, and it's like his dealer is this like insanely creepy dude who is one of the head monsters, but is also in charge of the evil organization and walks around in sunglasses and a big black trench coat in broad daylight. Um, And he ends up getting his maybe possibly girlfriend killed because of it, because he keeps like, they, whenever they call him and go like, Hey, if you want your drugs, you got to go, fight this monster and stop Blade from beating it. Um, and you got to beat it because you're the special cool guy. And he'll, like, leave her just... Like, they'll be riding on his bike, and he'll just leave her in the middle of the road and drive off. Um, and because she starts to unravel the mystery, because she's, she's like, a fucking doctor and a cool lady, um, and the, uh, the monster guy who is his dealer, like, goes and says, Bitch... Don't fucking get on my turf or I'm going to kill you. And then she keeps trying to help Garen. And so he kills her. And Garen goes, oh, no, what have I done? I got my girlfriend fridged. Um, and then he stops. And uh, then he start, He makes good with Blade and uh, Callus or Chalice or however you fucking pronounce his name. And uh, now they're just trying to either stop the bad guy from making a new writer or make friends with the new writer, whichever they eventually have to do. Not sure what it's going to end up being, but it's, it's a good time. I'm enjoying the show. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I went and watched the entire rest of 12 forever. Oh, that's good. Because it's, it's just, just really good. It's a nice, quick, easy kind of comfort show cartoon with like some, some hidden, really interesting lore that that like keeps dragging me in but also it's extremely funny um and it's it's got some good morals that aren't like shoved right down your throat um and i like it a lot and I put it on the list okay okay yeah um and then i watched uh pokemon detective pikachu because that came out on blu-ray a week or two ago I haven't seen it. It's on my playlist to the trailers on my playlist. So whenever it pops up, I'll watch it. Uh, I would, well, I'm not going to spoil it then, but I will say I'm definitely not digging it. Uh, it's not bad, but it's, it's clear. I went from being super hyped from the trailers to being like, okay, this clearly wasn't for me. This is this is not for diehard Pokemon fans or even casual ones who just like get really into it every few months like me. This is for people who played Pokemon when they were little and haven't touched it since but are now in their early to mid 30s and have kids who are getting into it and their kids. 
Um, like, I didn't have the same problems as I think other Die Hard fans did. Like, I talked about that one review I watched a few weeks back on the show. Um, where they were like, oh, it sucks that they use so few Pokemon. There's like a point where there's no more new Pokemon showing up in the movie, and that's that really sucks because you're trying to point all of them out up to a certain point, and like the game is ruined. And I, I didn't have that problem. Like, uh, there's enough good crowd shots and stuff that I don't think, unless you watch the movie like two or three times, or you're just not paying attention to the story at all, it's going to be a while before you're able to spot all the Pokemon in the movie. However, I didn't, I thought the CG wasn't all that well integrated except for the night shots. Like, they really stick out. Um, like, I wouldn't even say it's like the typical Hollywood movie. Oh, the CG's not quite finished looking. Maybe it'll be better on the Blu-ray. It, it looks like a Cartoon Network movie of the week. Like, remember when they made a Ben 10 live action movie for Cartoon Network? Yeah. It looks simple. like this. It looks like the first one I'm thinking of. It looks like the CGI in that. Hmm. And uh, I also didn't like that, aside from Pikachu, because obviously there's that moment in the trailer where main character guy goes up to someone on the street and is like, hey, can you hear him talking too? And then it cuts and you, you hear Pika Pika. And they, I did check in the credits. They actually got the, the, the official Pikachu voice actors to come in and do that, uh, which is cool. Fun fact, that woman has been voicing Pikachu and almost exclusively Pikachu for so long that she just inserts random Pikas into her speech compulsively now. <laughs> yeah. And she's probably, what, 40 years old? Yep. That's uh, adorable. And, uh, but all the other Pokemon are like these weird animal grunts or snarls or like fake voices but not the actual voices from the cartoon or even like the weird um chippy screams from the games and it really threw me off like i i wasn't expecting it to be like oh it's right out of the cartoon but the fact that like in the opening scene there's a cubone and it's literally crying and screaming mama, that felt really weird to me. Hmm. I mean, I saw a trailer and Ludicolo does go Ludicolo. Yeah, but it and Pikachu are like the only ones. The rest of them are like either like stuff like the the bone or like a grunt, an animal growl or a grunt or something like that. Well, things like Charizard never said his name. He's... It's growls and grunts. That's fair, but then also, like, the apoms are just making, like, these weird, like, gerbil sounds. And I'm like, could you have not just pulled from an episode of the anime dub where the apoms are just saying apom? Would that have been that hard? Yes, um, because this movie's already on probably a very limited budget, and that would have cost money. Fair enough. Uh, the story wasn't bad, but it's very basic. It is very much Baby's first um, detective thriller, which is kind of what you should go in expecting anyway. But I was I was kind of hoping for like a something a bit more interesting than that. Um, I will say 
the twist is not as obvious as people have made it out to be, and I knew what it was going in. Um, but uh, it, it is like, if you're looking for it, you'll find it, but if, if you're just kind of like following the plot along, it doesn't like jump out at you before it's supposed to. Uh, I thought the characters and the writing were okay. Justice Smith does a pretty good job. He, um, Ryan Reynolds, he's basically just doing a PG-13 dare, uh, Deadpool. I almost said Daredevil for some reason. Um, like, literally, this movie made me go, yeah, I understand why we're all against it, but they could do a PG-13 Daredevil and it wouldn't. Or, you did it again! <laughs> oh, I've cursed myself. They could do a PG-13 Deadpool and it wouldn't be terrible. Yeah, because like there's things he says in this movie that I was shocked the Pokemon Company approved coming out of a Pikachu's mouth. Because um, it's not Pikachu; it's Detective Pikachu. He has a different hat, completely yeah. different. Um, however, I will say the lip lip syncing is kind of crap. There's points where it just looks like they threw several lines Ryan Reynolds threw out randomly in an ADR booth over a scene. And it feels awkward. Um, but, but like, his performance is fine. Uh, it's just a technical thing. Everyone else does a pretty decent job, except for Main Girl, who I just never got into. Uh, like, I think she's supposed to be comic relief slash kind of like a cool young go-getter, but she just came off as someone who just walked off the set of, like, Zoe 101 or iCarly or one of those Nickelodeon shows, and that that never kind of stopped for me. She just always felt slightly below this film's caliber. Hmm. But uh, on the whole, I did think it was all right, just didn't thrill me. If they make a sequel, which they probably will, I don't think I'm going to see it. Hmm. Uh, and then I watched the first episode of Straight Up Steve Austin, uh, which is exactly what you expect it to be. It's literally random comedian guy who you've never heard of shows up at Steve Austin's ranch, and then they drive around doing a bunch of redneck shit all day. They, which, which is good. They drive a tank over some cars. They uh, take the doors off those cars and shoot a minigun at it. Which, by the way, I get the feeling that was supposed to be, like, a big, cool first episode draw-you-in moment of, like, when they actually show them firing them ever, it's just a dude standing there holding a large metal shaft. Yeah, um, hold that large metal shaft. Yeah. And, then, and they have fried chicken and, uh, mashed potatoes and talk about the comedian's career and how he was in the army briefly. And, uh, they, I can't remember if they like made their own beer or like they met this guy from a local brewery who like show, showed them kind of how his beer is made and then gave them a couple bottles. It was stuffing along those lines. Uh, well, Stone Cold Steve Austin has his own craft brewery. Yeah, I really need to. I really need to track down some of that and try it. I want to know what it's like. 
I think it's broken, like Broken Skull. Yeah, it's literally called Broken Skull IPA. Um, but yeah, it was all right. I don't think I'm gonna try and watch every episode of this, but I'll probably like every once in a while if I have some extra time after watching a wrestling thing because this shows up on the website where I watch wrestling things. I might, if the latest episode is there, I might go ahead and watch it. Much like I do with Miz and Mrs. Because I watched the latest episode of that. And uh, it was pretty okay. There was a few moments where I was like, wow, can't believe the, uh, those two signed off on that being on there. Because it makes them look like assholes or idiots. Where there's a... Uh, kind of the plot line of this is they're out doing yard work. And they find a snake going around their yard. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really dangerous for that snake to be here. It could be poisonous, and it could kill somebody, or somebody could kill it. Let's take it somewhere where it's, where it's going to be able to thrive in its natural habitat. So they take it and leave it on the side of the highway. But not before Maurice takes selfies with it. Yeah. 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 And uh, there's also a whole subplot about Mike being like, I have two jobs. I'm a wrestler and I'm a professional photographer for my wife. And he and he's trying to bitch about it and make it sound like, woe is me. And I'm like, dude, you literally live in a castle and travel around the world performing for a living. I'm not going to feel bad about you because you have to take photos of your beautiful wife all the time. Yeah, I mean, but also remember, The Miz is a heel. He's a tweener right now. Yeah. Well, he's um, used to be. He's usually a heel. Yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, but, th- but that did give us a cool segment where he's backstage at, I think, SmackDown it was. And uh, he runs into the Canelisi, um and um, learns how, how to use the select focus feature on his phone's camera for Maria Canellas. And it's like a big moment of awakening to him. And Maria's like, yeah, it's just that simple. You just do that. It's just one swipe. I can't believe you never figured this out. But he's like having a brain explosion moment, and it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, those are kind of fun. Especially because he probably plays them up really well. Mm-hmm. Because they, he, the, the thing I like about Ms. and Mrs., is it doesn't really distinguish, it doesn't do the thing that WWE does of distinguishing, like, this is a this is a mid carter. This is a main eventer. This is a lower mid carter. This is a jobber. This is an NXT guy. It's just no. The the title card just says this person WWE superstar and Miss Miss and Maurice just treat them like any other coworker, and that's always cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was a decent episode. Just kind of a few wonky moments, and uh, that was the last thing I watched this week that wasn't wrestling. And we don't talk about wrestling here. We have a whole podcast for that. So Chris, don't tell me about wrestling. Tell me about what you've been reading this week. Well, I read a manga. Oh, did you? Yes. Its name is Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam. All right. Guess what it's about. Guess. Just guess. Just guess. Gundam Pirates. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I was taking a complete shot in the dark there. Um, essentially, um, a bunch of colonists around Jupiter go like, hey, you know what? Fuck Earth. Let's destroy it. It's like, we don't need Earth anymore. Like, yeah. Fuck Sounds Earth. Legit. 
Um, and a group of people go like, no. And so uh, they take a couple of experimental Gundams called the Crossbone Gundams and become pirates and just like steal shit from them and just fuck their shit up. Nice. And yeah, that's kind of it. There's some intrigue. Uh, there's reference. Uh, some of the, some of the characters are from a previous bit of Gundam ephemera called F ninety one. Um, but also something I really appreciate in Gundam is they will make a design and then they will justify the design. So <laughs> the crossbone Gundam looks like a pirate. Um, he has the giant cross bones against his back okay that looks really cool for a giant pirate mecha that's pretty dope why would this pirate mecha have that simple because here they're fighting mostly in deep space with no definitive grounds it's all space combat so each of those things is a thruster Oh my god! Allowing them for higher maneuverability. That's you know I don't usually like the good guy Gundam designs, but that's actually really cool. I would buy a model kit of that because technically that's a bad guy Gundam. He's a pirate. Oh yeah. Um, I just think I just always think like, oh, Zaku equals bad guy in all Gundam because I'm not a Gundam fan. Uh, yeah, but that's the thing. Like, oftentimes the people who are piloting Zaku's are, tend to be better. It often is the people controlling. It's the leaders of those organizations that are dickheads. Same mm-hmm. thing with the earth. Like in the universal century, there's two organizations. There's the principality of Zeon and the earth federation. Here's the thing. In the first bit of Gundam, the earth Federation's the good guys. They're dicks a lot of the times, but they're good guys. And Principality Zeon is bad guys, mainly because they want to bring about fascism. Here's the thing. In the sequel, the Earth Federation are a bad guys. And all the veteran uh, mobile suit pilots basically team up together and become revolutionaries and go like, no, fuck you, give people their rights. Hmm. Like, the main... Okay, I just went on Amazon. The Crossbone Gundam model kit is forty dollars. That's actually pretty that's the that's the master grade, isn't it? Uh it is Crossbone Gundam X1 Verka model kit is what it's listed as. Um on do you see the box art? No, there's no pictures of the box. Uh it's probably the master grade because I think Verka is master only like master grades or real grades. Okay. Crossbone Gundam Verka model kit. I'm looking at it real quick on the Amazons, so I can tell you. Yeah, that's a master grade. Okay, so that'll be a that'll be a later in my career one. Yeah, they tend to be a little bit harder unless you unless you've had some experience building model kits. Mm. But because here's the thing, he's in space he can just turn himself into a bullet. So he has arm guards on his arm. You can kind of see it's that little thing sticking out that can, that can flip over his fist and turn into knives. Nice. He has a knife that can come out of the bottom of his foot 
that he just like rider kicks people with. <laughs> Excellent. And his uh, weapons actually look like old school flintlocks. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Very, very Gokaiger-esque. Yeah, it's very much like, hey, we're pirates. We should make things look like pirates. Here's a, uh, another picture on the model kit with uh, his weapons. So you can kind of see they're flintlocky. Oh, yeah. Um... It's really dope. Uh, we follow a main character who's kind of like a transfer, uh, like uh, an exchange student with the Jeho- uh, Jovians, which are the Jupiter people. And uh, he realizes, oh shit, they're crazy. And he joins the pirates. Um, there's a bunch of cool characters on the pirate side of people. And one of my favorites, because I also read one of the side stories, there's an old man who's one of the, the who used to be a pilot during the main war from the first Gundam. And all throughout the story, he says, oh, yeah, I, fi- I beat six of these big, big tough guys with a ball. And a ball is basically a single cockpit mecha with tiny arms that just go. Hmm. That's it. And he beat them. And then you read it how he did it. And it's hilarious. It's great. It's perfect. <laughs> nice. Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam. One of the best Gundams. Like, it's just top dog. It's just amazing. And there's three of the Crossman Gundams. So this is version one. Then there's version two, which is all blacked out. Because, of course, you gotta have your black. But here's the thing. That Crossbone Gundam defects and joins the Jovians to fight the Crossbone Vanguard, the pirate fleet. Because he wants to bring about an acrisic... What is it when there's a bunch of nobles and they control the population? Aristocrats. Yeah. The, the, what the Christ, uh, I can't say it. Nobility. He wants to bring it back, back nobility. See, I wanted to say monarchy, but I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, it's close. It's just, it, it's Christocarchy. Damn. Uh, that's the word I'm trying to figure out how to say. But um, he joins the Jovians because he goes like, yo, dude, they want to do what I want to do. And the Jovians are like, no, we want to destroy Earth, but sure, you can join and fight us, I guess. <laughs> and he's like all black. And then the main character gets his own uh, crossbone Gundam, and it has like a scarred three on the forehead, and it's like dope. <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, so yeah, Crossbone Gundam. One of the few Gundams is like a fan favorite Gundam that never had like an anime. Like in crossover video games where like the Super Robot Wars where Gundam crosses over with Evangelion and Mazinger and Getter Robo and all those kind of things. This is the only Gundam to show up from a manga. Huh. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I also read in the Immortal Hulk issue number 22. How'd that go for you? Really cool. It's uh, expanding on the fact that um, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Fixit is kind of inhabiting Bruce Banner's normal body. Uh, Betty Brant's pissed off at Bruce still, so she doesn't talk to him as Betty. She talks to him as her Hulk form. 
<laughs> which is fun and cute. Um, and they're just trying to help their buddy, uh, uh, Rick James. Rick Jones. Yeah. Just trying to help him the out. I would love to be cast as in the MCU. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of that kind of happened, and it sets up a lot of stuff for the next issue, which is pretty dope. And I also read issue two of Powers of X. Holy shit, the X-Men are getting dope. Good for them. So last time I said um, uh, the the one scientist chick who always is associated with the mutants. Turns out she's been a mutant and she's been going through all these different lives. And she's at this new one going like, guys, we need to do shit. Every time I've done things, it's been fucked. So this time the idea is every single life before, one thing has always led to failure. Was the fact that Professor X and Magneto never worked together. This time, she, uh, Professor X with her goes to him and goes like, hey, this is life shattering. This is going to fuck you up, but you need to trust us and you need to let me show this into your head. And he goes like, okay, I'm trusting you. And he does. And Magneto goes like, all right, that's all fucked. I'm working with you now. We're doing this. So Magneto's a good guy and they're dealing with all that. And there's like a cool moment where, um, Professor X and Magneto are talking about, okay, they're setting this thing is being set up to start building Sentinels. And they turn to Cyclops and they, uh, and he goes, uh, um, and, he, and basically it sums up as he's the guy who's going to get the shit done for them. That's it. He's their muscle. And it's, that's what Cyclops is. He's the soldier for the mutants. He is Captain America for mutants. Hmm. That's kind of his character. He does what needs doing. Well, Cyclops was right. Yep. Uh, and then it goes into the future. Into the, uh, the future timeline that this uh, X-Men story is going to be dealing with. And it's dur- during a time when uh, all the Sentinels are controlling Earth. And there's a small pocket of uh, mutants. And you see Wolverine and he's talking to this guy. He says, hey boss, this is uh, we got the thing for you. Here's the thing. And it turns out the person uh, who's leading them is Apocalypse. Hmm. Not in like an Age of Apocalypse way. He seems to just be like, yeah, no, we need to fight the good fight kind of Apocalypse. And it's like, what the fuck happened here? Oh, is this the, uh, is this the kid Apocalypse from Uncanny X-Force grown up? Who knows? It looks like traditional X, uh, Apocalypse. Hmm. Um... And a bunch of cool stuff. It just it, it's setting up a lot of interesting things. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I read this week. Nice. Uh, I went and read Tom Skelly's Sad the Cycle because you gave it such a high recommendation. And yeah, it's good. It uh, kind of fucked me up a little bit. Um, but uh, but I liked it. It was good. Yeah, it's good. It is good. And then I read uh, Ever After, the 11th book in the Hollow series. And uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. I really didn't like this one because they killed off my favorite character in probably my least favorite way to kill off a character. Like a bitch? No. Off screen, or I guess off page when we're talking about books. And then they kept talking. 
<clears throat> several characters said, oh, they had a really badass death. They went out trying to, to save another, like an innocent character who um, we were all trying to save throughout this book. And then the entire rest of the book, there's just occasional moments where the book kind of rubs it in our face like, yeah, this character is gone. And it's sad. Like, it really reminded me of when Lupin and Tonks die in the final Harry Potter book. Spoilers. Um, because, like, for, for the last couple books, with their subplot of getting together and having a kid, they, like, low-key became my favorite characters. And then they died off-screen, and them being dead is just, like, a, almost a throwaway line in that scene where Harry's walking into the Great Hall. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? And it's kind of a similar thing here. Um, so, yeah, didn't, didn't really like it. Like, it's, it's still of the same quality of those books. There's some cool world building in here. But that that death really overshadowed the whole thing and like took took this one down a notch or two for me. Mm. That's sad because you were really enjoying those. Yeah, I'm sure it'll pick up again in the next one. I think I've got like two or three more. But uh, yeah, that was just really annoying. Um, especially because it is kind of like like I said, they say the character goes out in a bad way, but it's kind of a fridging because it's done in service of further developing uh, two male characters and it was a female character who died. So I, I really don't know how to feel about it, especially because this is a female author. Yeah. You don't see many male fridgings. The only one I can think of right off the top of my head is the one in Aelita, Battle Angel. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's all I read this week. Not a whole lot of reading because my time was kind of occupied by Saga. But, uh, Chris, what have you been playing? I've been playing the Gundam mobile game. Chris, you have a problem. Hey, no, I have no problem because I haven't spent any money yet. <laughs> it's not like when you're playing a free-to-play game and you haven't spent any money, that's a good thing. Um, I've just been building Gundams, playing the events, uh, getting achievements, getting getting that mad cash to buy more Gundam parts. Uh, and I'm really refining my Gundam. is really pretty good. I'm having a lot of fun playing because it's it's an actual action game. You move around your character, you fight, you you, you attack, and you have uh, special abilities. Hmm. So yeah, Gundam. Gundamu. Um, but there's been some problems, like um, mainly because I think they underestimated the server uh, amount they needed. That <laughs> they opened up uh, the arena, which is basically you submit your your Gundam build and you pit it against other Gundam builds. Hmm. Um. And that broke everything. They got too much people trying to play at once. And yeah. so they were like, they spent like a good half of a day trying to fix it. And they just closed it down until they could figure out a better way of implementing it. And everybody kind of like, I haven't seen anybody pissed off at it. It's just more like, yeah, shame it had to happen. But it needed to happen in order to like learn from it and everything. So, but yeah, 
building some dope ass Gundams, getting some dope ass color. I showed you a couple of my Gundams, and you yeah, were like, "Yeah, cool." So yeah, it's it's all the fun of collecting Gundams without any of the money. Hmm. So win win. Plus, there's a virtual uh, Photoshop, the vo- uh, photo booth, which is like pretty cool. Neat. Well, uh, so I have the uh, the same problem I think a lot of people my age do, which is I can't get up in the morning very quickly, and I tend to oversleep a lot. Um, and a big part of that is I spend a lot of time at night looking at screens, either my phone or my computer. And uh, for those of you not in the know, all, all technology screens emit a blue light primarily and blue lights make your brain more active they'll keep you up longer so yeah thanks for reminding me i'm turning on my 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 i have a little app that turns it into a more uh yellowish white my computer screens yeah so if you're if you're on the computer late at night just waiting to get tired to go to bed don't turn your computer off and as much as this makes me sound like an old man, go read a book. Or, if you, have, if you have some physical ones, read a comic or a manga. I don't judge. I don't care. You can read some fucking doujins if you have physical copies of those. Read but, the porn. But read something instead of looking at a, at, at a technology screen, because you're going to stay awake longer. And then, also, you're going to have a harder time getting up in the morning because your brain will have crashed really hard when you do finally go to sleep. So what I've done is um, I've decided to sort of counteract that, is I've started, when I go to bed, I, I do like some yoga stretches, and I read an issue of a comic, and then I take a melatonin and I go to sleep, but then to help me wake up in the morning, I've started playing my DS again. Um, I've had a DS Lite pretty much since I was, like, somewhere between 10 and 12 years old, and I haven't touched it in ages, just because a few years back I went for my, I'm kind of done with video games. Video games are such a waste of time. I want to focus on more productive things. I'm not going to play video games anymore. I'm going to get out of that whole sphere of information, um, and I've, now I've come back to games, so... I started playing for Pokemon Emerald, and holy crap, I still really like this game. I still think it's one of the best Pokemon games. Um, just really, really solid, really fun, but also some good, subtle story stuff in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten very far in it. Like, I haven't even hit the first gym yet, because I only started um, playing DS when I wake up, like, two days ago. But uh, it's good, it's fun, and I like it. And it's, and it's a nice way to pace yourself on a game that what I do is I set my alarm and I use the alarm on my DS. I have always used my DS as an alarm clock since I got it as a kid. Um, so I set my alarm for a half hour before I actually want to be up. And then when I get up, my DS is on the other side of the room, so I get up, I do actually stretch my legs for a minute, I grab the DS, I turn off the alarm, and then I immediately turn on the game. And then I either sit down on the floor or go back and sit in my bed. And I play that for a half hour, and the blue light the DS is emitting helps me wake up. 
So then I'm perfectly alert and ready to go when I do actually get out of bed and go take a shower and do all that shit. Um, so that's been pretty good. And uh, I think I'm going to keep that up. And when I finish Emerald, I'll probably just um, start going through the DS and Game Boy Advance library as I can find it. Um, this probably give me a good excuse to start going to my local video game store every once in a while because I have one, but I'm just I never go in there because I don't like spending money on video games because it's it's a lot unless you're going for a service like Steam. Yeah, yeah. But if it's like once a month or so, I can probably afford to just drop in there, check out what they got, and pick up a DS or a Game Boy Advanced game and. When I'm done with, when I've gone for all the DS and Game Boy Advance games I want to do, I'll get the 3DS and do that. And by the time I'm done with the 3DS, hey, the Switch will probably be at the end of its life cycle, so I'll finally get a Switch then. Uh, If I may suggest a DS game that I find really good that you might want to try out. Go ahead. The World Ends With You. That is actually on my list. Okay, cool. It is one of my favorite games. Nice. Uh, as soon as you start playing it, you will realize why it is one of my favorite games. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I, I I'm sure I will. Uh, and then uh, I did get a toy this week. Um, you know how Transformers Cyberverse is doing that spark armor power of the power of the all spark thing? Yeah, with like with like the weird vehicle armors and the weird Common Rider X8 homages. Yeah. There's McDonald's toys of that. <laughs> and I was in McDonald's the other day, and I got the Optimus Prime Kamen Rider Snipe Jet Combat homage. The McDonald's version, which doesn't actually transform, has kind of shit articulation, but has a cool friction fire thing. And now so it's gone forever. technically, you just said, I bought... A meal. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it came it came with it came with a hunk of plastic that vaguely looks like Optimus Prime if Optimus Prime was a jet former. A hunk of hunk of burning prime. Yeah. A hunk of hunk of prime combat. <laughs> I do really want to get the actual versions of those. The the prime combat and bang bee simulations. Like, I'm not interested in the Cyberverse toy line at all outside of that and maybe the Windblade from the line, because I really like Windblade in that show. Uh, but yeah, oh, that's, wow. that's, that's, that's all the playing I did this week. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end of our program. Mr. Boingo Rider, why don't you tell people who you are and where they can find you? I'm against well, it. I am Chris Boingo Rider Gaston. You can find me. On YouTube at Boingo uh, at Boingo Rider, uh, plus four uh, more places: uh, Twitter, uh, Discord, Instagram, um, YouTube. I already said YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm on Twitter, Boingo underscore Rider. Instagram, Boingo underscore Rider. And Discord, uh, my Discord server is in the uh, link in the description. Uh, come check it out. Hang out. Nobody's really talking, but mainly because there's not a ton of people there. Yeah. I do check it, like, a couple times a week just to see if there's anything worth getting involved in. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I am the vacuuminator on these here nets of interconnectivity. Uh, I make videos, but I'm not doing that right now. My channel's in reruns. You can find that at youtube.com slash the vacuuminator. Right now, a lot of old convention trip content going up. So if you're into watching convention vlogs, which I used to really be into that. That was like one of my favorite genres of YouTube videos when I was in my early teenage years. Probably because I hadn't been to a lot of conventions yet at that point in my life. Um, but uh, if you're into that, go check that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at The Vacuuminator, and Instagram, at The Vacuuminator. But uh, that's all for me. But uh, if you're interested in this podcast, hey, Analytical Fanboys, it's a production of Modular Media, a uh, channel where creators of all kinds, but mainly us right now because we don't have a lot of friends, please be our friend, we're lonely, um, we come together and we make cool stuff, primarily podcasts, because we're like 90,000 miles away from each other currently, so we can't make much else. Um, but if you want to keep up with those podcasts, go ahead and subscribe, ring the bell. Um, if you want to listen to the podcast on the go and you don't have YouTube Premium, go ahead and uh, go to the link in the video description to download an MP3 from Google Drive. You can follow us on Twitter for updates about the podcast and when it's going to come out. That's at the Modular Media. And you can subscribe to our subreddit to basically do the same thing. It's r slash Modular Media. But that's going to do it for this episode of Modular Media. That's going to do it for this episode of Analytical Fanboys. We'll see you next time when we're going to be talking about... Oh, no. Oh, no, what? Oh, no, I knew this day would come. What? I'm not ready, Chris. What is it? I'm not ready to talk about JoJo Part 1. <gasps> <sighs> Even the vacuuminator's scared. Help. <laughs> <laughs>